this is a very intensely personal book. But I, I really like comics where you feel like you're in somebody's head, right? And as much as there is a sort of universality of American-born Chinese, it's also something where you see Gene Lun Yang wrestling with these ideas himself. And that's what makes it special. It's his own personal journey. Not to say that it's autobiographical, but you can see how he probably thought of himself when he was growing up. With Asian American Heritage Month coming up, I figured we ought to read something about the culture. Well, so why not do a re-reread of Asian American creator Jim Lee's X-Men? Well, it's technically also, Roman, AAPI Heritage Month, so don't forget about those Pacific Islanders. Chester Brown certainly did it. Roman, if anything is going to get us canceled, it's that. And also, Ryan, I'll have you know that AAPI Heritage Month is in May. But then again, if you have no listeners, can you be canceled? Which at our rate is eventually when this episode might come out, eventually. Fun fun fact, guys. That joke was an allusion to the fact that I'm really late getting our previous episode out because I'm fighting back against the Asian stereotypes of having our shit together and forming to colonial norms like being on time and driving good. And speaking grammar good, Ryan. You mean speaking in grammatically correct English. I'm Roman Segel. I'm Ryan Joe. And we're two dudes whose foreigner cousin was in town visiting, but we didn't think to invite him on this podcast. That's an in-joke for people who've read the comic. This week, we're reading American Born Chinese, the Eisner Award-winning comic that's soon to be a... But wait! Basic... Wait, wait, wait. How does this gel with your completely arbitrary plan to read an alphabetized list of graphic novels? Ah, old chum, but G is for Jean Lun Yang, the multi-Eisner award-winning author who I make us read all the works of on this podcast. And American-born Chinese is Yang's seminal work. Well, that seems like it's cheating. If you ain't cheating, you're cheating yourself. Did I mention that American-born Chinese is soon to be adapted into a Disney Plus streaming show starring Oscar-winning Michelle Yeoh? And Oscar winner Kihai Kwan, and, and Ste- uh, Oscar nominee Stephanie Shi, and Oscar nominee Stephanie Su. I've done two of them, so pick whichever one works. It's basically the everything, everywhere, all at once extended universe. I think the Daniels are involved as well, actually. Oh, really? So, well, there you go. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the book, though. American Born Chinese is Jean Lun Yang's seminal comics work, first released in 2006. Beyond being written seminal. by Yang, it's seminal. Beyond being written and illustrated by Yang, it was also colored by cartoonist Lark Pien. Is that how you say that name? Let's Ryan? go with it. Let's go with it. Yeah, why not? It's Lark a Lark! <laughs> Going on a Lark. This book won all the awards and launched Yang onto a full-blown comics career. The story of American-born Chinese consists of three seemingly disparate tales. 
Hearst, the legendary Chinese monkey king from the classic 16th century Chinese novel Journey to the West. However, blink and you might miss it, but Yang replaces the Buddha with a Christian-influenced deity. The second storyline is the all-too-familiar Asian-American coming-of-age story of an American-born Chinese young man, Jin Wang, who befriends a new arrival from Taiwan, Wei Chen. As with any story of teen drama, romance is afoot with Jin's American crush, Amelia Harris. And the third story depicts an American TV sitcom with all-American oh, boy visiting. Danny and his visiting cousin, Chinky, who, if you couldn't tell from the name alone, is meant to be an amalgam of pretty much every racist stereotype associated with the Chinese, from the outlandish costume, the heavy accent, the buck teeth, and yes, the predilection for putting pee-pee in your coke. Eventually, these three tales come together into a poignant lesson of culture and self-acceptance. So, Ryan, as with all of my greatest comic book finds, I stumbled upon this book at my local library a lifetime ago. And honestly, I come back to it every few years, and I'm really glad it continues to get the recognition that it deserves. I'm not going to lie, though. I've got really cautious trepidation for the new Disney Plus show. So, look, as our token Chinese-American co-host, what did you think about American-born Chinese? Yeah, I'm kind of cautiously excited for the Disney Plus show. I saw the trailer. It looks sort of like a fantasy thing, which is, you know... That's that's kind of how they what they put at the forefront on the trailer, and I'm hoping that that's not what they actually do because, you know, this is fundamentally a story of you know of of trying to belong and trying to understand where you fit in in the world, and the fantasy aspect is just sort of like a vehicle in the background that kind of helps get you there. But you know, this this story always resonated with me. I had read it once before, probably in my twenties. You know, kind of around the time it came out, and you know, there are a lot of things that kind of recognized growing up Chinese American. A second read through, though, I was kind of actually really struck by the anger and the self-loathing and the way that self-loathing is kind of placed on other Asian people. And that's something that really kind of struck me and also feels, feels really, really true. Does it feel true because that was your experience? It feels true. It wasn't my direct experience. But there is this sort of, you know, definitely like, you know, when you're Asian American and you see somebody else who maybe, you know, isn't as Americanized, you know, you kind of like, well, at least I'm, you know, better than them. I, I kind of see that mm -hmm. actually with my grandmother a little bit. She came here in the 50s and she really kind of like disliked Chinese immigrants for a while. Like she would call them fobs and my mom would say, well, you are a fob. And again, my grandmother, I think she didn't like anybody who wasn't part of her family. So <laughs> I would have mm. just been a part of it as well. So yeah, it resonated with me again, but the anger is what stuck out. And maybe that's because I've become a little bit angrier about these issues than I was in my 20s. Tell me how you feel about Tilda Swinton. <laughs> oh, God. Wait, do you seriously want me to get into that? No, we... we, we... We've litigated um, that before, but yeah, it wasn't that. It was Iron Fist. I told you about this. <laughs> you know, when they cast Iron Fist as, sorry, when they cast Danny the guy Rand. who played Loras on Game of Thrones as Danny Rand in the Netflix Iron Fist, for whatever reason, that was some sort of awakening for me where I was just sort of like really upset and disappointed, even though the character of Danny Rand in the comic books, Iron Fist is a blonde haired, blue eyed dude in the Marvel comics. I just felt it was a 
complete missed opportunity to right a wrong because the Iron Fist character was meant to capitalize off of the explosive popularity of Kung Fu, which was brought to us, which was kind of put into the American zeitgeist by Bruce Lee. That character, I believe, was based off of, you know, off of Bruce Lee. And so one could could argue to to add insult to injury by David Carradine, who ripped off. Well, exactly. The reins of Bruce Lee's show. Right. Yes. Right. And of course, Bruce. Can we just turn this whole podcast into a into a conversation about the hit show Warrior on HBO Max? We could. I have not actually seen that, but but you know, I, actually, I, I want to bring I want to bring it back to American Born Jenny's really quick. It's funny we talk about Danny Rand, the kind of like idealized most American person you can be, and again, it's complete coincidence. But that person in American Born Chinese is Danny from the sitcom, right, with curly hair. Yeah, he does. He does kind. Of, I think that's more of a coincidence, right? That he looks like yeah, that Danny from the absolutely. sitcom looks like Danny Rand from the from the. Well, it's it's just this comic. like blonde idealized right person. It's yeah, just sort of like yeah. it's the white guy that you want to be, right? And in a way, that's that's what makes kind of like the original version of Iron Fist so insulting, is that it really is kind of just steeped in this sort of like Orientalism, which is you know the trappings of Asian culture. Without the Asian people, you kind of like the Asian people just become sort of like part of the background to add some sort of element of exoticism to the atmosphere while the white guy kind of takes the center stage. And I know there's lots of examples of that, but Iron Fist to me really kind of encapsulates it. Well, let's come back to American Board Chinese because there's something... I didn't realize it till this, this is my third reading, maybe fourth reading of the book now. And, you know, read it in my early 30s when I, when I first moved out to New York, finding it at the library. And it, you know, it's just disarming and charming because of Jean Lun Yang's kind of excellent cartooning skills and the weaving together of these three stories. The, you know, I think I had some exposure to Journey to the West and the Monkey King, but to kind of see it articulated in just kind of a fun fashion. But on this most recent rereading, the, the closest book equivalent I could put to it is not only like my own like Asian teenage nightmares of like just a regular life trying to fit in, but the book, The Namesake, again, which is again, mm. and it's not even the book or the movie, The Namesake. It's probably my first reactions to The Namesake of this tells kind of the universal Asian American experience, even though this is a Chinese American experience, you know, whether you're Indian American, Taiwanese American, Thai American coming from Asia with this kind of weird far off culture that you're trying to hide and you're just trying to fit in and you're just trying to be like everyone else. And, you know, the relationships or the ignorance or the befriending of the fobs, even, even the monkey King does that, you know, like he changes his form to look like the rest of the gods. It just really, it rang true to that kind of first realization that someone else could tell the tale that, you know, kind of had those feelings that I had at, at a point in my life. I think actually bringing the Monkey King mythos into this was really, really smart. And that's actually what kind of drew me into it a lot also, because I kind of grew up reading like these Monkey King storybooks. And also there was this this old TV show of the Monkey King. And I remember watching that whenever I went to my grandmother's house on her, you know, she had these VHS tapes of the Monkey King and his various episodes and you know, Monkey was like a, is is like a hero. Like he's just he's like a Nazi. You know, he's he's mischievous. He's like the quintessential like as a Nazi. A Nazi might be like sort of like the 
the African folklore hero that sort of transcended you know, across cultures. I feel like Monkey King is that to Chinese culture, but also to integrate, you know, because of that, the book kind of like made me almost sort of nostalgic and really sort of tapped some sort of remembrance of my childhood. But at the same time, mm-hmm. kind of taking that and then using the Monkey King mythos and what the Monkey King does from a fantasy standpoint, and then using that to kind of tell this tale of trying to blend in and trying to also reject who you are because you're ashamed of it or because people make fun of you for it. That also mm-hmm. was something that I thought was was really clever, the way Jean, Jean Lun Yang kind of brought all of that in. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Every time I read it, I completely forget how all the plots tie together until the very end. You know, the, uh, the almost WandaVision-like sitcom TV show with the laugh track that's just, you know, that has Chin Ki featured in it. It's just really interesting how past becomes future, these kind of like parallel timelines all kind of come together at the end. And it's right before we started recording, we were talking about like the last scene, which we had both completely forgotten that that scene in the diner with with I think Wei Chen, I believe, and or, mm. you know, who's who's revealed to be spoiler alert, the Monkey King's son. And then even the transformation into Danny, like watching Jin Wang become Danny, it's who he wants to be. And all of a sudden, he finds himself literally just waking up in the sitcom. Yeah. And and, and the sitcom, this thing he always wanted, because he's already got him, you know, as an Asian guy, the perm, this thing he's always wanted becomes this kind of perverse nightmare, because now he's trapped in the sitcom. I like that he... Jean Lun Yang brings it together. I actually kind of feel it ends abruptly. And I, we were talking about this before we started recording. I asked you, was that really the ending? Because I don't remember it being so short. And I, I, I kind of feel the book kind of cuts off before the main character really styles anything. Like he has this moment with the Monkey King. He has a moment with the Monkey King's son. But I don't think it really leads you to any conclusion, right? If the main character is sort of like satisfied or okay with who he is, I don't see how he necessarily gets there. I really appreciate the way Jean Lun Yang sets up all of these pieces, but I don't really feel like there's a satisfying resolution. And that might just be because the questions he raised doesn't have, there aren't really any satisfying resolutions. Well, th- th- that's exactly, if you look at page 222 to 223, that's that exact moment. It's the scene right after, not just right after that Chinky is revealed to be the Monkey King, but it's after the Monkey King has told Jin Wang kind of his tale. And now you literally have literally maybe eight, nine panels of just the two of them sitting there staring at the curb and Jin Wang just kind of pondering. It's literally just two full pages of pondering. And then you show... Monkey King departing. And, and the Monkey King says something in Chinese. I don't know what he's saying. But, you know, he literally says, so what am I supposed to do now? And the Monkey King looks at him, and Jin Wang looks back at him, and the Monkey King says, you know, Jin, I would have saved myself from 500 years of imprisonment beneath a mountain of rock had I only realized how good it is to be a monkey. Right. And I think it's that realization. And then he floats away, and Jin Wang goes and waits and waits and waits at a diner. So I think it's this realization that I don't have the answers and I'm going to try something different. And then he finds Wei Chen and sits down with him and confronts him. I can't believe you read this on your iPad. This is a book you should own. Of all the fucking books you own on your shelf, Ryan, how do you well, not do, own this book? I do, I do own it. It's just in California, and it's a free download on Kindle. So I didn't really want to buy a book <laughs> that I own twice. So, you Fun know. Fun fact. 
I originally I originally didn't own it. I bought a used copy for a reread several maybe two years ago, and everything in my basement is packed up right now. So I ha- instead of unpacking it, I got it from the library. Yeah, exactly. It's essentially the same thing. I checked it out through uh, through Kindle Unlimited because I just I already I already own a copy. I just don't know where it is. <laughs> Actually, my dad might have thrown it out. He there we we had this situation <laughs> recently where he threw out all of my like a lot of my graphic novels, some of which are kind of on the valuable side. Anyway, that's that's a source. Yeah, but this is this feels like this is one of those important books. It feels important to own, and I, I've said it multiple times. This is. There's something about the cartooning. Again, you can flip through it on a Kindle. And, you know, there's a ton of comics, in- including Gene Lu Yang's. He has a comic now published by DC called Monkey King or Monkey Prince, maybe. And it's okay. And I read it on a tablet. But this book has a heft and a weight to it, even though it's not as thick as some of the phone books that we read. I feel I mean, it's probably anyway, like, the most personal book also. I mean... Um, well, to your point about self-loathing and the thing I said in the intro... You know, Jean Lun Yang is a, I believe he's a Catholic, and, you know, he's kind of hot swapping out of Buddha in, in Journey to the West. Like well, who did he, who, who, where, where was this? What page was this? I was actually going to ask you about that. Well, I tell you what page, but it doesn't matter because you don't have a copy of the book. Well, this, you're, you're, I know you're going to turn the page, turn to that page and describe it to me in such vivid detail. It will be as if I'm reading it myself. Yes, yes. I don't know. It's in the God scenes either in chapter, probably, no, it's Are actually not sure in chapter. Are you it's sure not chapter he swaps one? Out? Okay, I what what are you seeing? I are you sure he swaps out Buddha? That just seems very. Well, to be clear, I read that in some of my preparation of the intro, so someone else said it. But it's in the second chapter with the Monkey King after he goes and fights all the gods and learns all the kung fu and defeats many of the gods, and it's the monk who comes and talks to him. He okay, says, walk with yeah. Me. No, so they're they're supposed to journey to monkey and all of the other guys are supposed to journey to the west to see Buddha. The Buddha is not hanging out with the other Chinese deities. Like he that that no, but it's no, but it's 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 just later on when he goes and meets the monk Jing Si, I believe. No, Jing Tao, not Jing Si, Jing Tao. It's Wong Lai Sao. Yeah. So anyway, it's the monk around a page one hundred and thirty or so. Yeah, that's not meant to. Wasn't that good. I don't think that character is not meant to be Buddha. I don't know who that character. I re- I remember the one with the pillars for the hands, right? No, no, that's like the supreme god. That's that's earlier on. It's later on the monk who rescues, who talks to the monkey king who's stuck under the rocks, and that he goes for a walk with. Lai Sao. The one, yeah, Wong but Lai he's Sao. the one. He's the one who who originally well, imp- imprisons the monkey king, isn't he? No. The one who had the fingers as pillars, that's the one who imprisoned him. Wong Lai Sao comes and rescues him. Oh, that's not that's not Buddha. That's the Tang priest. That's not he's not meant to be Buddha. I don't know. He's like no no, so, I don't so, know. no, no, no so I haven't read yeah. Journey to the West, so I don't know the role of Buddha. No no no. Yeah, no, they're supposed to go 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 see Buddha in the in the West. That's one of that's just a priest. He's just a monk. And his whole thing is like he's supposed the demons think that he's that if they if they cannibalize him if they eat him they're going to be made immortal so like as they're going through the west the tang priest and his three disciples sun wukong the monkey king and then fire sand and pig you do see those they're kind of meant to protect him and keep the demons from like eating him and all right hang on i'm, I'm looking this up now page 68 
The difference between mm-hmm. the original and Yang's version yeah. are glaringly obvious. The Buddha being replaced by the Christian God on page sixty-eight. So I'm going to page sixty-eight. Okay. So I was wrong about the scene. We're gonna have to edit the shit out of this. On page sixty-eight. No, leave it all in because this is like, this is this is authentic. So on page sixty-eight, the the God with the flowing robes. I believe that is supposed to be Buddha. And like the one with the the pillars, but he is replaced. I just want to see who his name is. Now I'm going to go pull up this blog post. Uh, I can find 68. The differences between... I'll send you this link, and I'm going to read it. Okay, comparison. Yeah. I knew that the story in a graphic novel must have been similar to an actual Chinese tale. What is she... Sei Yu Su, page 70, which is the, the godlike figure with the pillars. Yeah, that character, I remember I remember that character. I remember that incident from the children's books where he's supposed to be like, oh, you're in my hand, get away from my hand. And then, you know, monkey. You want to, oh, okay, unrelated to all this, something else, else cool. Look at that big par- pull quote at the bottom. Because I've asked you this about the monkey king and we weren't sure about it. I've read that many scholars believe the monkey king himself was derived from Hanuman, the Hindu monkey god. But no one knows for sure if the journalist yeah. took the Hindu source material. There's always oh. sort of a trickster. There's always sort of a trickster character, isn't there? I mean, we talked about a Nazi earlier, right? So Nazi, Sun Wukong, <laughs> all kind of like part of the same sort of. Well, okay. So, so one thing I will say: the mysticism element is part of the fun. Now, the question is: Will the Disney? And I don't really want to talk too much about the Disney Plus show. I don't know anything. I just, I literally only saw like the trailer during the Oscars or whenever they aired it. Yeah, and I'm, I'm just genuinely curious: Is the mysticism going to stand on its own with these kind of tales and this parallel story of the Monkey King? And I hope so because yeah, I, I don't know. I, you know, I mean, like for me, it's just a vehicle to kind of tell the story about about. I said at risk of repeating what I said in the beginning about fitting in. And trying to be somebody who you're not. And, you know, I mean, oh, if, here's if, actually Jean Lu Yang's take on it. All right. So coming back into this, you know, a little bit of debate on the the kind of the Christian Buddhism mergings. And we've done a little bit of discussion and looking up some stuff. So I found a blog post by Jean Lu Yang. And I just want to kind of read a quote by Jean Lu Yang from a blog post on First Second Books, his publisher's site, publishers of the book. At its heart, the journey to the West is a Buddhist morality tale. In the original, the Monkey King raises havoc among the gods of all other traditional Chinese religions, and it is only the Buddha that is finally able to put him in his place. And American-born Chinese have replaced the story's Buddhist underpinnings with Christian ones drawing from my own faith. Christianity, you see, lies at the very center of my identity as an Asian American. I would even go so far as to say that Christianity is a vital part of the Asian American experience. For proof, simply visit a Christian student group on any university campus. More likely than not, you'll find a sea of Asian faces. By adopting this ancient Western religion that is both a part of and at odds with contemporary Western culture, we attempt to make sense of ourselves. But is it okay for me to take an age-old Chinese folktale and rip out its Buddhist heart? Derek Kirk Kim, one of my best friends and a decidedly non-Christian Asian American, questioned me on this after an enthusiastic reading of my script. How would you feel if someone took one of your stories and made it Taoist or Muslim or atheist, he asked. It's a good question. And after much reflection, I've arrived at an answer. 
I've read that many scholars believe the Monkey King himself was derived from Hanuman, a Hindu monkey god. The original author, or authors, no one really knows for sure, of The Journey to the West took the Hindu source material, perhaps without knowing it, and used it for his or their own religious purposes. Furthermore, coincidence or not, this trickster monkey deity is echoed in religions and mythologies all over the world. So in a very real sense, the Monkey King is universal. He's been around a long, long time, and I think he's sturdy enough to follow us wherever we go, to embody whatever philosophies and beliefs we arrive at. To be honest, I'm not entirely comfortable with that answer. Answer, but I was comfortable enough with it to be able to finish American Born Chinese, and maybe that's all that matters. Yeah, I, I mean, we're all kind of right, right? Well, you know, I mean, like we were saying earlier, this is a very intensely personal book for Jean Lin Yang, and you know, I, I was kind of talking about you know what the Monkey King means to me, and I'm sure that character, that story, means a lot of different things to other people depending on how they grew up with it, and. You know, with Jean Lun Yang, it obviously, you know, the Monkey King is obviously a very important character to him, but as are so many other things and so many other aspects of different cultures. And so you can kind of see how it's sort of all being kind of thrown together and translated in his head as he's trying to kind of figure out a way to sort of probably reconcile his own feelings of growing up Asian American. Yeah, just seeing that central conflict with his own interpretation, like, makes me love Jean Lun Yang even more. Like, just because yeah. I think I've told you this story, like, growing up, I had the conflict, and I think there was actually a Pixar animation short of this. Like, in my mind, I was reading books of the Mahabharata and the Gita with Ram and Krishna and Hanuman, you know, our monkey king. And at the same time, I was reading the Avengers, the Fantastic Four, Green Lantern, the Flash. And these are all kind of like superhero mythologies, kind of all merged and mixed together in my mind. And so... How can you not kind of want to lend one of these things to the other? I, I would argue my own faith or lack thereof is kind of rooted in that because yeah. your consumption of these stories is built in America where you're far it, away from it being kind of present in the air and the culture and the society. Yeah, I mean, I'm not too precious about religion myself being kind of a religious, but I mean, you know, there are a lot of religions that sort of borrow from each other. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of gods that sort of mimic others. You look at the Greek and the Roman gods as be, I mean, they're pretty much mirrors of each other. And then even the superheroes that we, that we grew up with, a lot of those recall or are allusions to or kind of are like, basically crib <laughs> from, yeah, from from religion whether it's superman and judaism Moses. or yeah you freaking got thor man i mean that is an actual superhero you got hercules <laughs> as an actual superhero so um in my mind it's sort of fine for these sort of barriers to be very very porous obviously if you take your religion very seriously perhaps you might have a different point of view on that but yeah i've also said on this podcast that i, I really like comics where you feel like you're in somebody's head right this is their point yeah. of view and you know as much as there is a sort of universality of american-born chinese it's also something where you see kind of gene lun yang wrestling with these ideas himself right and i think that's what makes it special it's his own personal journey I mean, not to say that it's autobiographical or anything, but it's his own point of view. You can kind of see how he probably thought of himself when he was growing up. That's what makes it special and personal. There is something personal in it. He is drawing from something, some experiences, or at least some thoughts. And even the ability to kind of just sit and have a conversation with yourself or with a legend, you know. It's a good book. It should be read. It's, I, I don't know, I, what, I, what I really hope, and, you know, I did have the privilege of talking to Gene 
when they were in early, early pre-production of American Born Chinese. And, you know, the Zoom call right before we hit record, I mean, he was like, yo, I'm at a WeWork at a co-working space because I'm in back-to-back meetings in pre-production. It's just when the show had been announced being picked up by Disney+. And I, it sounds like he's playing a role in the story, but I wonder if the deeply personal nature will still kind of come through or if it will be kind of hijacked into something else for, you know, to sell streaming subscriptions. Well, I mean, there is a middle ground, right? Because, like, it's not going to be... There's so many people working on this, so many actors, so many other points of view. So it's not going to be... Versus, like, when it's just Gene Lin Yang writing, when it's just a cartoonist creating writing and drawing drawing it, of course, it's going to be almost like directly pulled from this person's head and you're not going to get that with a tv show where there are multiple people multiple working on it but i think that's fine too like there's again it's well no and so maybe it's as long as the people who are working on it are bringing their personal experience to it and not just making a sci-fi fantasy show right well checks all the boxes I don't know. I mean, the, the fact that Gene Lun Yang is part of it makes me feel like, okay, that's probably not going to be as big of an issue. But yeah, is what made the original book so special going to be lost? I, I would like to think not. I don't know. I don't want to review a, a TV show before it's actually come out. I feel like I'm yeah, speculating we come back here. So, yeah. <laughs> well, let me ask another kind of a silly question, but it's kind of a fun one worth asking. We've now read, because of this podcast, a lot of Gene Lun Yang, right? We've read Superman Smashes the Clan. We've read oh, yeah, Dragon right. in and American Born Chinese, the three books that he's now won the Eisner for. And I can't recall if we've read any of his, and we've read Boxers and Saints. Boxers and Saints. And I've read almost, with the exception of like his Secret Coder series and some of his like DC stuff, I've read almost all of his like creator-owned works. How does this hold up against those ones? And again, specifically the other two that have won the Eisner for him. I mean, I don't. It's hard to compare them, right? You know what? I really do like his narrative trickery sometimes, which you see in Boxers and Saints, because he tells two stories Mm -hmm. from two different points of view. Mm -hmm. And then, or he tells the same story from two different points of view, these two characters who are at odds with each other. Yeah, who intersect. And it also kind of uses this fantasy element. For these people to get strength and to elevate themselves over people who are oppressing them. And then, of course, with American Born Chinese, it has those three different narratives, and you're not quite sure how they're going to intersect until the very end. And that's something that's often overlooked with Gene Lun Yang, is that he's kind of like a mindfuck of a author, of a creator. You know, Say more. Yeah, well... Because of the way he stitches together these narratives in ways that are completely unexpected, yeah. the way he brings in these fantasy elements in ways that are completely unexpected, but also in full support of the greater theme that he's trying to discuss. Sure, sure. Um, I'm actually like really, really impressed by that. So those two books I really enjoy the most. Also because, again, I grew up Asian-American, With, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And also, my dad told me about the Boxer Rebellion. So that was also something that I was sort of aware of. And seeing that brought to life was also really special. Never really was a big basketball fan. So, you know. Well, you know, it's, you know what's funny about, I was, it was about Dragon Hoops? What's funny is I feel like American-born Chinese and Dragon Hoops are bookends. Because Dragon Hoops, if it was just about basketball, it'd be a fine book. You know, not as fantastical as, say, Boxers and Saints, but kind of weaving a story of other people and other things that happen. But the part of Dragon Hoops that really punches me in the gut, Dragon Hoops 
has this kind of deeply personal, not coming of age, because that's what American born Chinese, but coming into adulthood choice. It's almost kind of the thing we were talking about before we started recording. It's like, you know, should I stay or should I go? I've got this stable thing that's working and I'm kind of doing these other creative things on the side. And I mean, I've literally drawn and screenshotted that pie chart from Dragon Hoops multiple times in my own life that, that he discusses with his wife. Um, so those two books feel like real bookends. Superman Smashes the Clan is, you know, a very, it's not even a wholly original mm. story. It's just a very kind of Asian immigrant take on a radio drama that preexisted. And it, you know, came out at a time in America when we needed to kind of read that story. That's probably why that one won the Eisner. But Boxers and Saints, while it didn't win the Eisner, you know, I think it's a, I wouldn't have brought it to this podcast, but I didn't think it was great. It's a, it's a unique bookend and kind of the same tale from two characters intersecting is honestly something my friend Paresh and I are experimenting around with, with something that we're working on. But anyway, point is, I wouldn't knock Dragon Hoops. I actually think Dragon Hoops is amazing because well, of I'm not, I'm not knocking it. I mean, the question is like what resonated with me the most. But I, mm -hmm. I definitely see the appeal of Dragon Hoops. I think it's a great book too. I, I would say like Superman Smashes the Clan, which you read sort of early on in this podcast series, was something that feels a little bit more straightforward, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't really have that kind of narrative trickery. Even Dragon Hoops, like he dips into history and then he brings something from the past to the main story. You know, Superman Smashes the Clan is very, very straight. It's much more straightforward just from a narrative standpoint. But it does kind of have this sort of element similar to American there's a, there's a historical fiction built into it. I mean, not, not just the history of Superman and the early story of Clark Kent, but a story of the clan and a story. Right. Of, and I think it is loosely based on something with Asian Americans, right? Back yeah. So. But you know, the presence of Superman, you know, the presence of this fantastical element, right? Oh, cause this... there's no fantastical elements in Jean Lin Yang's other books. <laughs> no, that's what, that's what I'm saying. That's oh, sort yeah, of yeah. like the okay. similarity, right? Where you have this fantasy element that's kind of overlaid onto th these real issues. No, you, then you could actually kind of make the call that then Dragon Hoops, again, not to say better or worse, it's one of the only books where he doesn't weave fantasy into it. And maybe that's part of the not as much appeal for you. But what makes Jean Lun Yang work? And actually, I think I'm answering my own questions I've always had about him. What makes Jean Lun Yang work is when it's personal. When there's something personal and when there's deeply personal stakes, I've I've actually read, I enjoy all of his Avatar work. So Avatar The Last Airbender, he did several, several volumes. And they're quite good. And it's it's just great characters that you can latch onto. But his kind of like modern takes inside of DC when he did the Chinese Superman, his Monkey Prince or Monkey King comic, they're fine. They're fine. And I and I wish him all the success. But the depth of personal stakes that show up in all these other books that we've talked about, starting with American Born Chinese. Like, I think that's why I love him. Like when, when I read his books that like really touch on something deeply personal, you know, even though he's kind of exercising it in a fictional fantastical tale, it's, there's something really special that he can do that he can unlock then. And I, and I think I struggle seeing it when he has to do these kind of like pop culture characters, be it Shang-Chi, Avatar, Superman, you know, DC properties, etc. Yeah, it feels a little bit more run-of-the-mill, even when he is kind of bringing his own, you know, Superman smashes a clan. He's bringing some of the themes that he had in American Born Chinese into it, but it's essentially a Superman story. It's essentially a basic superhero story with some elements that make his other work special. What did, I'm just curious, Absolutely. what did you, I like, like, when you read American Born Chinese, I should have asked this earlier, but did it, how did it resonate with you? The first time it was just fun, you know, and that was, you know, arguably 10, 15 years ago before I had kids and 
you know, I saw some parallels to the Chinese American experience to the Indian American experience. And one of my first exposures, believe it or not, to the Monkey King, knew the Monkey King was a thing. It wasn't until years later that I saw Damon Albarn's production of Journey to the West, which he only co- he did the music for. He, uh, he co-produced it with a Chinese partner. But it was my first introduction to it and to kind of like see the parallels. It was interesting. It was my first experience of kind of seeing this fantastical weaving together of three different narratives. So, you know, I was intrigued enough to know, oh, this is really, really good. If, if anything, it might have been my first realization that first, second press, the publisher just makes fucking awesome books. Like, you know, if, if I were to make a young adult graphic novel, like say it publicly, like first, second press would be the people you'd want to kind of publish and guide you through it because I've read many of their works and similar to HBO, they're just an imprint I love. I haven't gone wrong with them ever. But anyway, I digress. And believe it or not, a lot of the indie books we've read on this podcast that aren't Marvel, DC, or Image, many of the ones I bring are from first second. But that so that first time there was so much intrigue and opening up my eyes. Upon subsequent readings, like I really do kind of started to, and after having read other books by Jean Lun Yang, right? Like, I think every subsequent reading of American Born Chinese was after reading one of his other call it greats that we've just discussed, Boxers and Saints, Dragon Hoops, Superman Smashes the Clan. And, you know, this is just kind of a touchstone book for Jean Lun Yang. It's clear this is the, the most personal one. And it's the I think it's the most personal with the Chinese American experience that he's written. And so I gain a lot of empathy reading this book. I see a lot of myself in my own kind of self-loathing, right, that I had. At that age? Uh, right, because you grew up in Alabama. Things. So you had, I mean, I, I yeah. grew up in California. Those are very different states. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Being on the outside, hiding who you are, wanting to fit in, changing yourself to fit in, wanting to be, thinking you are white. Those are Those are real things, man. And again, I've shed almost all of it, but... Not not gonna lie, the code switching is real. I have to do it to thrive and to succeed, you know. And I'm not as Indian as many Indian Americans, but because of those experiences and those longings and that loathing, and I've gotten better, you know. I have an Asian American wife, but she's not Indian. How would you, I'm just curious, how would you be more Indian? Like, well, how would that manifest if you were more Indian? What would that what would that version of Roman be? I'll only answer that question if you answer how would a more Chinese version of Ryan be. I, I, I can answer that pretty easily, but you go first. <laughs> you, uh, no, there's so many things, man. Like, I didn't grow up around a lot of Indian people. I mean, it's ironic. Two of my closest friends from childhood were two Indians, but and and my best friend in life today is, is an Indian man. But, like, I've only been back three times. I know I treat the, the religion as myths. I don't treat it as a faith. The culture is an interesting thing that I know a lot about, more more than the average bear but nowhere near to the level like i actually didn't know what part of india i was from until i was 19 i've only seen 10 indian films in my life is 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 treating it's, it's the is tr- yeah. is being a religious part of being indian necessarily i think so i i absolutely think so whether you're a hindu muslim or christian faith and spirituality i think are I don't want to say core to the Indian experience because of all the other prominent South Asians, Indians, Desis, whatever you want to call them, uh, I don't know if they wear their faith on their sleeve. But I mean, I can take what my one friend, Rajiv, a very prominent South Asian comedian, like he's much more religious than I am. And the role of religion in his life and, you know, family moments, the importance of honestly, 
the importance of settling down with another person of your own culture. Like you and I both did not settle down with someone of our culture. We both settled down with other Asian Americans, or actually in your case, you know, your wife is Korean from Korea who is now in America. But my wife is, the thing my wife and I have in common is that our kind of subtle removal from our own culture, and that's rooted in kind of the way our parents came to this country. So anyway, to answer your question, what would I be like if I was more Indian? I'd be with more Indian people. I'd be doing more Indian things. I'd, I'd have a stronger point of view and attachment to the culture and the faith than I do, rather than just kind of a, a pretty great understanding and appreciation. of. I feel distant. I, I feel distant from the culture. I'm more American than I am Indian. So what would make you more Chinese? Speak right? the language. Pretty much that. Well, yeah. That's it? I mean, let well, me ask you a question. No, no, no. I want to ask a question rooted in a story. Like second time I went to India in my early twenties, I was with my dad, just him and me. I just finished business school and we're going around to the monuments in Delhi and he would buy the tickets. So instead of 25 rupees, it'd be two rupees, which is like pennies. Right. And then we, we take the train down to Agra and we go to the Taj Mahal and he's like, all right, I got this. I'll buy the tickets. And he goes to buy the tickets for the two of us. And they let my dad, and he buys the tickets in Hindi and they let dad buy his ticket. And they're like, that guy over there, he's not Indian. And he's, they're talking about me. And they could tell by the way I walked, the way I, I dressed, you know, that I clearly was not Indian. And so they charged me the foreigner rate. So I don't think it's just the, and you know, I spoke enough Hindi to talk back to the guards. Be like, yo, I'm Indian. I'm from Delhi. I just rode the train. I'm just wearing a t-shirt, all that stuff. But like, it was so clear they could tell that I was not Indian. So do you think if you were to go back to China and you just spoke the language, you'd be more Chinese? Than I am now, yeah. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> you went on a technicality. Well, no, okay, so, well, I know, so you bring up this interesting point, right? Like, well, what, when I said what would make you more Indian, I didn't necessarily mean like, oh, well, I mean, obviously, if you were born and raised in India, that would definitely make you more Indian. But within the context of being Indian American, you no, know, but I, I have Indian American to... friends who can go back to India. I have Indian American friends who can go back to India and they were raised here in and they, they just melt right into society. Yeah. Okay. I guess, I guess I for me, I don't necessarily, I'm sure there are, you know, there are probably a lot of Chinese Americans who could just pass as Chinese Chinese, but mm. that's never. And they should call the CIA. Sorry. <laughs> How dare you? That's never been a desire for me. Like I, I I'm not Chinese, right? I'm Chinese American. CIA. So like I don't I don't really that's never been you know I, I I miss not knowing the language because I do feel cut off from an aspect of my culture but right. I don't miss not being Chinese you know mm-hmm. like I am happy being Chinese American and having elements of the like of of that no, it's super, having, it's a having my eth- be, yeah, feet of both worlds, yeah. So, so yeah, so that's why I just say the language. I wasn't being flippant. It's, I guess, maybe I think of it more as like if there's one thing that I would like to have, that would be it. But not you know, secret monkey king kung fu powers. Got it. Oh, I used to want to have that. He has, you know, he has some cool shit like that. You know, like that. You know that that cudgel can kill a dude in mm-hmm. one hit you know that's actually the thing about him throughout the books like he's a buddhist but he keeps killing people and like for like the longest <laughs> time he's just like the priest would be like 
what the hell are you doing? You can't, you are a Buddhist. You cannot kill people. And the monkey King would be like, Oh gosh, I didn't kill him. He just died on his own for some reason. <laughs> like that's like throughout the, through, well, at least throughout the, those, those are the kids books that I read. And I, I say throughout the book, I didn't read the book. I read like these kids versions of the book. And that's what he was always doing. Everything, every, every episode is him encountering a demon and then bashing its brains in. That's like the resolution. <laughs> anyway, maybe that's why Jean Luen Yang moved it out of being a Buddha, moved Buddha out of it. He's like, oh, I can't have Buddha involved in this. This is some Old Testament shit. <laughs> so I, I think I know the answer to this question, Brian, but would you recommend this book to someone? Yeah, yeah, I've always I, I, I like Jean Lun Yang and I you know, despite the fact that you think I don't like dragon hoops, I actually do like dragon hoops too. As we said in that episode, I recommend that too. I think Jean Lun Yang's a great a great storyteller and he's sort of rare. Like he tells stories in a very interesting and unique way. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. Like I like that he's having so much success. I genuinely like I like the dude, I like him for what he does, but I wish he could have more time to make these deeply personal things. And I, I hope I would imagine he's still working on something, but he's, you know, he's making a TV show and he's got Marvel and DC gigs. Like, I just want, I want more personal Gene Lun Yang, you know, because that's, that's the special stuff. Gene Lun Yang's special stuff. That's going to be his next graphic novel. <laughs> you heard it here first. On Quarantine Comics because he doesn't have time. Well, you know, he got, well, that's all right. He, you got him in the, you got him on the on modern minorities. So there you go. So Roman, what what are we reading next week? I mean, if we're still working our way through the alphabet, we I think need we to still are. With H. I mean, H. H. H is for Human Target by Tom King, and I would love to tell you more about it, but Roman, I think you know more about it than I do. <laughs> God damn it! All right, so. <laughs> Human Target is by Tom King, the writer who we've talked about multiple times on this podcast, starting with Mr. Miracle and uh, Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow. So as, as you know, what Tom King loves to do in the DC universe is take seemingly obscure characters, but known characters, and kind of put a twist on them. So what this book has to do with, we don't fully know. It's a hard-boiled, gritty story in the vein of classic Detective Noirs, but it also has to do with the Justice League International in a murder. So we actually don't know what to expect other than other people like it. And we like Tom King. So, oh, you haven't, week, re- you haven't read it. I thought you read it and we're recommending it. To no, you. I've been wanting a surprise to read it. for no. all of us. Oh, okay. All right. There yeah, we go. Absolutely. Well, we're both coming in in blind and we do love Tom King kind of conditionally. We love some of what the stuff that Tom King does, but we don't like a lot of the other stuff that he does. So we'll find out where this one sits. Which one this is. <laughs> Which one is this? Is this good Tom King or the bad Tom King? Stay tuned. Next week. Or not next week. Whenever. Ages later. And that's our show. Like what you heard? Be sure to share with a friend, subscribe, and leave us a review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. See lots of pretty pictures of the books we read at qtdcomics.com. And since we're sure no one's listening, prove us otherwise. Shoot an email over to say what I got right and what Ryan got wrong. Qtdcomics at gmail.com. Give you a social media handle, but we're old, and that feels like too much work. I'm Roman Segel. And I am and have always been Ryan Joe.
します。